in addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good welcome to whoever you are and wherever you are. My name is Julian Gibb and I work for the Harvest Foundation. And today we're blessed to have uh, a friend, a good friend. Her name is Laurel and she's uh, our cousin up north in Canada. So, Laurel, welcome. Good morning. Welcome. Uh, It's good to be here. (laughs) So... Laurel, you, you've known my, my wife uh, for decades, and uh, you and I have known each other now for, I guess, about uh, 15 years or so, and uh, we're just blessed to have you on the show. So, so you are a teacher, and uh, you teach uh, children sort of all the academic things that are necessary for, for them to make uh, intelligent decisions later on in life. But uh, what? Um, tell us about your role, because because you are a Christian, you are a, a believer, and uh, quite rightly, you know, you follow the codes that are um, uh, are uh, you, you the, that you follow by the secular codes of, of teaching. But how do you live as Jesus's hands and feet as you seek to reach out to to children, both in your own native land and into those abroad? Wow, that's a huge question, Julian. Um, So my specific role at the moment is all to do with arts education. Um, So I teach music and art and drama and dance at a little tiny school in really the middle of nowhere in northern Canada. Um, And I think even just getting creativity into uh, sort of unleashing creativity in the hearts and minds of these small people. Uh, my youngest students are six and my oldest ones are 12. And uh, we work creatively all day long um, in all kinds of ways. And that's a real privilege, actually. That hasn't always been my job. I've often, you know, done the traditional reading and math and whatever. But this feels like a real privilege um, in terms of just the creative work of the spirit um, as I work with individual kids. Um, I was thinking this morning, you know, part of right now is has so much to do with giving kids the dignity of our attention. Um, life is heavy and it can be quite dark. And I think when we turn and we listen, and it sounds so simple, but when we turn and listen to individual students and hear about how they are and what's on their minds, I think that is actually one way that Jesus is alive and well in in the secular classroom. Well, wonderful. And so uh, you are uh, just giving the, the children the dignity of... Uh, of being listened to, of, of being being told that they are of worth, just simply by the fact that you are spending time with them. And uh, how how do you think that affects the children? 
Um, I think you know to pull on an example from Jesus. I mean, Jesus welcomed children, and we have these stories of him saying, "No, no, don't, don't send them away." And I, I think there's something about turning to look at another human being and getting down on their level and really accepting not only their ideas, but what is important to them that changes hearts and lives. I've, you know, even the toughest nuts, um, the toughest, the kids that are the most challenging in their uh, behavior or in their way of being in the world. There's something about engaging with them either through humor or through um, just a really intentional conversation or even an on the fly conversation where you can turn to another person and just ask them how they are. And I think that that changes, well, it changes me. So I'm assuming it, it changes the hearts of students too. That was going to be one of my next questions, but I'll, uh, I'll come back to that in a minute. I remember when I was young and uh, on a piece of my homework, I got a gold star next to it. You know, it was like a, a star probably worth like a quarter of a cent, you know, and probably just stuck on because the teacher felt sorry for me or something. But I remember the uh, <clears throat> the effect that it had on me. It was like, wow. You know, it was like someone, uh, I, I actually did something of worth and, you know, something, uh, someone really feels you know that they that I did something worthy you know I remember it stuck with me for years just this little itty bitty gold star you know and it really propelled me um, I'm not going to say anything to meteoric heights or anything but it really sort of propelled me uh, sort of put fuel in the tank for me to focus on striving to do better trying to um, to get another gold star it was it was shown to me that I could do it and so let's see if I can do it again so ha- have you seen any, not meteoric, but have you seen any uh, sort of footsteps forwards with, with uh, any of your children over the years when, um, when you have paid attention to them and uh, told them that they, that they are, are of worth and that they uh, can do wonderful things? Um, you know, just just yesterday, we're in the midst of working on a virtual Christmas presentation here at school, and it's a bit of a, a collaborative effort where the kids get to put their ideas together. And um, there's a young man in sixth grade, and he uh, he's come with a lot of trauma, and um, it's interesting. He offered an idea yesterday and it was kind of harebrained and it was outside what we were doing but the kids got on board with his idea and he just lit up like a Christmas tree and there was something about him offering this idea and the people around him saying yeah that that could work let's try that let's do this let's let's build on that that really began to change his disposition and his and he bought into the activity and he's excited about coming back today. And I think just simple things like that are, are changing him in terms of the culture of the classroom and what we're able to do together. So that's just a small example. I think I've seen, you know, larger things over time where, you know, I get to see these kids for six years and it's fun to watch them develop over a long period of time, which 
often you don't get in a regular situation where you see them for the year and then you pass them on. So that's actually quite fun mm. to watch these little people change. <laughs> and um, how, how's, as, how has this changed you? You know, uh, how, how would you say seeing the labor of your, you know, the labor of love, how, you know, the, the, the ground that you have uh, sowed, how, how has this changed you as a person? Um, I think I've been in teaching for a long time. This is year 28 or 29, something like that. And I think I've ridden the, the ups and downs of feeling like what I do matters or doesn't matter. Um, and even just to have this conversation, I think it is, it's interesting to me to think on a small scale um, and then on a larger one that what that I wake up in the morning and I come to school and I meet these little people, these human beings who need to be heard and listened to and paid attention to. And right now in the world, things are pretty hard and there's a lot of darkness. And I think being here in the classroom has changed me in that I think the temptation to wrap myself in a fuzzy blanket and stay home and not engage with the world is pretty high. Um, but there's something about the engagement of knowing that I can bring a little bit of light, a little bit of connection. Um, and it actually becomes the hope that I carry in the world. Um, doing this work becomes hopeful, I think, as as it gets walked out, as I work it out, as I stay in it for the long haul, um, as I choose to engage rather than just um, putting in time. So I think it, it does change me. I, even just this conversation this morning, I think, oh, I, to be asked this question, right? Does it matter? Does, does what we do in the world matter? And I have to say yes, even though sometimes it doesn't feel like that. And I think there's something about the long haul and the long journey that does matter. Um, that uh, Amen to that. You know, uh, I know what you mean. It's just like, the, uh, particularly at the moment, the desire to grab that fuzzy black and that chocolate bar, you know, and retreat into the couch and, you know, uh, you Christmas carols or whatever about you know frosty the snowman and just forget the world that you know the, all the hardship and the darkness at the moment <clears throat> but the problem's still there and you know and so you know as you say we either retreat or we either go out and do what god has called us to do where he's placed us and as you say you know often we don't see the fruit uh, of our labors you know we ever you know, but it's happening. There is a change uh, being taking place within people's lives. And so what would you say to people who are listening, who are thinking, um, you know, well, well, a teacher, you know, so she's, she's got an opportunity uh, to teach children in love, you know, make a big difference. But but I'm not, you know, I'm, uh, I shuffle bits of paper in an office, you know, or, or I do this or I do that. You know, uh, what would you say to them? Would you say that they should um, 
just shrink back, or just get on with their job? How can they reach out to others and uh, do what you're doing in love? And before you answer that, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. And today we're blessed to have Laurel, <clears throat> our sister from up in Canada, who uh, acts as Jesus's hands and feet by reaching out to children in a classroom and showing them worth and love. But Laurel, what would you say to people out there who are saying, oh, uh, I can't do anything. You know, uh, what I do in the day won't make any difference. I, I really think making a difference is one person at a time and one conversation at a time. I don't feel like what I do is particularly spectacular. You can, I've done a lot of things in my life that, you know, reaching for the spectacular, I think trying to do something that's out of the ordinary. And I've come to realize that Jesus' work in me has to do with a single conversation, one at a time paying attention, listening well, I think we can't, we can't dismiss that as opportunity to, to do Jesus's work in the world. I mean, even to read the gospels, there's this individuality to what Jesus does with people. Um, yes, there's the spectacular, the teaching and the preaching and the, the miracles, but I think the part that speaks to me right now is about an individual conversation with a real human being. And I think, you know, we shuffle bits of paper, but those papers go somewhere. And how do we, how do we deliver those papers? Even it sounds silly maybe, but I think there's something to the, the way that we do the work that we're doing and the individual conversations that we have that are important. And, um, we say it all the time, you know, the grocery store clerk, the, you know, the guy who delivers your UPS packages. But I think we do make a difference when we pay attention one person at a time. And, you know, even my friends and I had a Zoom dinner party the other day because here in Canada right now, we can't can't go anywhere, can't have people for dinner. <laughs> and we set up our cameras and we cooked a dinner and I... It was it was ridiculous, and yet it was beautiful. And we had a two-and-a-half-hour conversation around the table with our screens, and and we all walked away a little, a little less lonely and a little less um, frustrated with what... That's, that's with beautiful. reality. Well, that's beautiful, you know. Well, um, so I know... Um, I know that uh, you also go to other parts of the world and uh, tell us about that. Why do you go and, and what do you do? Well, about 15 years ago, around the same time I met you, I met uh, a... Um, I drove you out of the country, is that what? You drove me out of the country, no. I, um, I met a good dear friend, a Zimbabwean, and she was doing remarkable things in the world in her own community living and working with people who were in really tough, really tough situations. And she invited me to come and join in, uh, to volunteer, to partner with what they do. Um, and I was able to do some teaching with rural school teachers and working with professional development. And it's funny, most of the work I did had to do with creativity and working with nothing and inventing ideas and um, 
Now what that organization does is actually a remarkable thing. They call it an agribusiness discipleship internship. So their (laughs) students live on site, um, school leavers between the ages of 17 and 22, and they go to business and agriculture school. Um, And my friends have developed this incredible program where students can learn the art and the science of agriculture, and they get trained in not only discipleship, but also in small business, running their own small businesses. And when they leave there, they actually have seed money to begin their own businesses. And they are single-handedly changing the face of agriculture in, wow. in, their, in their area. It is just a remarkable thing. And so I've been able to go... Uh, I think I made nine trips back and forth. I haven't been in a few years. Things there have been a little tricky. Um, but it it is a remarkable thing that they do. And these kids' lives are changed because people love them well. And it's been really neat to partner alongside with them and help their teachers figure out how to deliver content well and engage with people. So it's pretty neat work. Uh, so, Laura, why... I mean, you know, you uh, you have a job in Canada, you know. Um, why would you give up your vacation uh, to go to uh, – Zimbabwe is a beautiful country, don't get me wrong. But why would you – why not go to Hawaii and sit by a pool? Why why would you go to that, the stress of, of flying to the other side of the world, sleep-deprived, give up your spare time in order to help people that you don't know uh, and uh, do it in a way that is uh, challenging and draining for you. Why not sit with a with a, a margarita by a swimming pool and uh, yeah, and and relax there? What's your motivation? I I that's a that's a great question. I'm not a hundred percent sure how to answer it. I think <laughs> I think it has to do with following the opportunities that are open to me um, and about opening myself up to discomfort in order to um, partner with people to, to give a break to the people that do this work 365 days of the year. Um, My showing up there was very little about me um, in the end I, I had thought when I headed out that I was going to do some spectacular thing in the world. I think I had a longing to matter, to do something important. And again, it came back to a very small thing, to show up, to give relief, to partner along with people who were doing really hard work. Um, it was hard work. And sometimes I do wonder about, you know, why not take a vacation? Um, but there was something about the work of the spirit that propelled me into that work over and over again. Um, and it actually came back to the classroom in lots of really interesting ways here in Canada as well, where I was able to talk about the real world and particularly the developing world with my students. And that was a byproduct I hadn't expected. But What? what? changes <clears throat> transformation may be too strong of a word but what changes did you see in the children's lives in Zimbabwe through your efforts through the efforts of the organization you are uh, serving with I saw people 
grow and flourish. Um, there's a lot of static uh, day after day, one foot in front of the other work there. Um, people have small farms and it's dusty and it's hot and it's dirty. And we saw people filled with joy um, at the idea that they could do something meaningful, that they could feed their families, that they could grow into this responsible citizenship. And it, it is, it's stunning. I, I'm not sure I, but I think joy probably was the byproduct that I was most enamored with in lots of ways. So by serving as Jesus's hands and feet, you uh, as a byproduct received joy, joy of seeing uh, just how, because again, I'm using my Western 21st century mindset in a different part of the world, you know, and and hard, hard to realize how uh, some people there are really struggling, that the conditions are pretty dire, uh, and uh, how just the fact that someone is is coming not not a, not a white savior, but you know that just how a human being is coming alongside and just just loving them, and and the difference is that you've seen them uh, work together uh, in order to raise each other. Up is that correct? Yes, I would say that that is that is very correct. It we got away from sort of bringing this idea. I called myself the crazy white lady. <laughs> They'd show up in these schools, and and there was an expectation of sort of you know what are you here to bring? And I think by the time my sort of tenure there was over my overriding sense was I've come to bring myself and I want to learn from you and engage with you. And yes, I might bring, you know, a, a soccer ball and 10 paintbrushes, but what I really bring is the desire to be in relationship with you. And, and um, have you got any examples of like, you know, you don't have to use names, but just uh, any examples of how, um, it, it has changed people's lives, uh, you know, or any relationships that were formed during your time there. Hmm. Um, early when I started doing professional development, the, there were two young women. They were both only 17, and they were charged with uh, running a preschool program. Um, I think I live in the middle of nowhere. They really lived in the middle of nowhere. And they transformed a mud hut into the most beautiful, play-centered, open-hearted center for these little children. And uh, they, they just blossomed. And they took all these ideas that were just ideas, and they made a place of beauty for these kids. And they came to every session and they soaked up every word that we shared and they developed something that changed their community. Wow. Well, that, that's wonderful. And, and um, so, so there's sort of a real lasting effect taking place there, you know, and, and my last question for you um, is, you know, how, how did this experience in Zimbabwe, how did that change you? You know, we've heard how, in Canada uh, with the children there, that, that sort of uh, changed you. But how did your experiences in Zimbabwe change Laurel as you sought to reach out to serve other people? Sorry, there's my school bell. 
<laughs> the day is about to begin. Um, uh, I I think it it cracked me open. Um, the work there is hard. Um, it's very hard, and it is demanding, and it's sort of thankless in some ways. I know I spoke of the joy and the. It just keeps going. It's an it's a bucket that just never never sort of ends the work there. And and I came to I think a place of greater openness to what God was doing in the world and how to join in with that um, in a very small small way. Well, that's that's wonderful. So, learning from you, Laurel. Uh, you know, just as you are saying, just one conversation with one person, just journeying with people, just small steps, ways of reaching out to others in love, does have a profound effect. We may never know, we may never see the result, but it doesn't matter because God does, and He's orchestrating, working through those who are obedient to Him. But Laurel, just a big thank you to you for taking the time to be with us. You have been listening to The Kingdom and the Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and I work for the Harvest Foundation, and we look forward to speaking, to spending time with you again together sometime next week. Until then, goodbye. We'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.